Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is Make It Plain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Make It Plain. Of course, when we talk about the lack of police accountability and police violence, it seems to never subside. Uh, but we have to keep talking about it. We have to keep exposing these things as they happen so that something hopefully can be done about them. This exposure is absolutely necessary. We're going to go to Louisiana now. Uh, and as you all know, it's uh, one outfit that's no stranger to make it plain is ProPublica, ProPublica.org. They do some of the best and most objective investigative journalism uh, there is. I was talking with another significant person in me the other day and they were lamenting to me that from their point of view the news is dead there is no more news there are a lot of echo chambers out here but in the case of ProPublica I would argue this is journalism 101 covering the story presenting all the facts and doing it in an in-depth investigative way if you've not checked out ProPublica please do so now as a matter of fact what we're going to talk about today is a piece that was published in ProPublica in partnership not only with ProPublica's local reporting network, but also in partnership with WKRF and WWNO, and also with some collaboration with the Times, Picayune, and the New Orleans Advocate. So there are several people involved in this. And so the gentleman, the journalist joining us now is Richard Webster. He's the lead author of this piece. The article entitled, They Saw Me and fought the worst. In this piece, we're going to talk about Jefferson Parish, Louisiana, where for years, African-American residents have voiced complaints about abuses and a lack of accountability within its sheriff's office. Things have improved somewhat in New Orleans, but not in Jefferson Parish. Richard Webster is here to talk to us about that now. Richard, how are you, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. Great work and, and great reporting. There was some national media about the case of Sojourner Gibbs. She was diabetic, had an attack in a parking lot. And when 911 is called, the the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office uh, officers showed up. And they weren't too kind to her, were they? No. So, So what happened was Sojourner 
went to a Sam's Club in Jefferson Parish. She was buying groceries for her family's Juneteenth celebration. Usually they have these big celebrations, but this was during the pandemic. So it was just going to be a small celebration. So she got her groceries, was leaving the store, got into her car. She had been a, a diabetic since the age of 13. She felt sort of all of the, the symptoms of going into diabetic shock. When that happened, she had had several other episodes like this before. She had trained herself to just start yelling, like, I'm a diabetic, I need help, I need help. Mm -hmm. So there was a, a woman who was witnessing this. She called 911, said there's a medical emergency. Four Jefferson Parish Sheriff deputies showed up. And Sojourner said that despite her saying over and over again, I'm a diabetic, I need help, they assumed, in her words, that she was a drug addict. I don't know if I can say this on the air, the, quote, the story. So she said that uh, one of the deputies said that this bitch is high. She seems like she's lying. They proceeded to grab her out of the car, sweep her legs from underneath her, face first into the ground. Then you zip ties to handcuff her. And there is a another woman who showed up and she was with her sons. She started filming this. It was a white woman, Alicia Dardar, lived in Jefferson Parish her whole life. And, you know, this was weeks after George Floyd, and she was terrified. She thought that she was witnessing this play out right again in front of her. Yeah, yeah. So even if she was high on drugs... Doesn't matter. I mean, what, yeah, but what, what were the police... Because because I guess for the police, their issue was she was holding up traffic. There were cars that couldn't get around her because her car had stopped. Is that what happened? I mean, it's a parking lot, you know? I mean, so this yeah. wasn't on a street. And, yeah. you know, she was not you know, she wasn't presenting really a threat to the public. So as you said, even if she was a drug addict, nobody deserves that treatment. And she wasn't presenting a threat in her words. Yeah. How, how common are these types of incidents in Jefferson Parish alone? Well, you know, for decades, the Black and Hispanic communities have been, you know, sounding the alarm about these things happening. We, I went through eight years of lawsuits filed against the sheriff's office in federal court there was about 200 of them. And that was twice the number of lawsuits filed against the New Orleans Police Department during that same time. New Orleans has a much bigger police department, about 1,100 officers compared to 760 for Jefferson Parish. Three quarters of the plaintiffs in the Jefferson Parish cases were black. So, I mean, that you can, that speaks a lot. That shows that people in Jefferson Parish, the black community, feel they have no other recourse but to use the courts. And they all had similar complaints about use of force. What's the Black and Latino population in Jefferson Parish? The Black population is about 27%. The Hispanic population has doubled over the past like 10, 15 years. And that's a, it's about 18% now, I believe. Mm -hmm. Now, you juxtapose, you do juxtapose this with New Orleans, where it's had its own issues historically, but the issues raised in New Orleans have resulted in some degree of, of greater accountability, correct? Yes. So New Orleans, the, the New Orleans Police Department was literally one of the worst in the entire country. <laughs> they were co committing assassinations. There was, you know, dealing yeah. within the, it was just the worst. So there was a collective uprising of residents, black and white, elected officials, everybody wanted something to be done. So eventually there was a lawsuit filed and then I believe there's a lawsuit filed. Anyway, there was, uh, the federal government came in, the Department of Justice, and they entered into a consent decree, which is a court-ordered bunch of reforms. And that happened in 2013. And over the course of the last eight years, the NOPD has become sort of a model of reform. It's by no means perfect, 
but it is far better. So that's what the people in Jefferson Parish want to happen. And they say, listen, just across the parish line, equally, if not worse, worse things are happening in Jefferson Parish. But the problem is you have a majority white conservative population, and they're not going to put pressure on the sheriff to do any sort of reforms like that. Just to give everybody a sense of the geography, how far, how long is the drive from New Orleans to Jefferson Parish? Oh, they share a border. It's Jefferson Parish is basically a suburb of New Orleans. So it's even more glaring that something can happen in New Orleans and just be completely ignored in Jefferson Parish, which, I mean, again, speaks to this problem with policing. It's like election laws in this country. We don't have any uniformity. Each county is left to its own whim. Uh, and, and that's the problem. That's why, Joe Manchin, we need you to support the For the People Act, by the way. I said that Richard didn't because I think they're nonprofit. I said that Richard didn't say that, y'all. But you see what I'm saying? I mean, that's the, that's, if people don't understand what the point of this, you know, we cannot continue to fight this battle on, there are 50 states, but how many counties? So if every county does its own thing, voting rights and policing, how are we ever going to be able to unify and organize around that? Not to mention, I'm sorry, I'm on my soapbox for a minute. Richard, I'm sure you're aware over the summer, spring and summer, some of the tensions between victims, families, and survivors of police violence. So that the George Floyd family gets 20 some odd million dollars, another family gets, and another family only gets a million. Well, why is that? Because each county and jurisdiction is different. It's not, but, 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 the, but to a f- grieving family, it's as if you're saying, my loved one's assault or death or victimization is worth less or worse more than another's. So anyway, I, I, that was all me, y'all. Richard didn't say any of that. Um, he only pointed out that they share a border. So come on, y'all. Y'all, sh- we share a border. And yet what's going on in Jefferson Parish doesn't get responded to. And what goes on in New Orleans does. Because everybody's heard in New Orleans, this big city, Jefferson Parish. We can do this under the, the dark of night. More MIP after this message. You cite a couple of other cases, just to share to the record, the case of, I think, Teresa Burke and her son, Pharrell. Mm-hmm. Tell us a yeah. little bit about that. One. So there are actually two cases that are somewhat similar. So right. the first I'll, t- I'll talk about, so Tramal McGee, and this happened in wow. March of 2020. So he was 14 years old, him and a couple of friends stole a car and they stopped, you know, the sheriff's office was after them. So they stopped, Tramal got out and ran. He was trying to crawl underneath a shed, unarmed, face down, and a Jefferson Parish Sheriff's deputy shot him in the back. Thankfully, Tramal survived. That same deputy was involved in the Sojourner Gibbs incident, mm. um, which happened, you know, these were months apart. And later in the year, he was promoted to detective. Wasn't disciplined, he was promoted to detective. Um, so that happened in Tramal's case. And also in Tramal's case, the Sheriff's office did not tell the public that this happened for months. Um, Tramal's mother kept going to the sheriff's office to get answers. Who shot my son? Why? And they stonewalled her at every turn. And one detective even said, we have no record of a deputy-involved shooting when you're saying this. So eventually she went to the press, and then the sheriff was forced to address this. Pharrell Burke, he was 13 years old at the time. Him and a couple friends took the car belonging to another friend, went for a joyride. Again, they crashed the car. He ran. And he claims that one of the deputies was chasing him and screamed, if you don't stop, I'm going to shoot your effing ass. 
And so Pharrell stopped, got down on the ground, put his hands up, he said, and the deputy barreled into him, took his hair, smashed his head into the pavement. And then Pharrell was later hospitalized that night. So Teresa finds out she goes to the hospital. Her son is bloody, bruised, in and out of consciousness. And she said, what happened to you? What happened to you? And he's like, please beat me up. Please beat me up. Um, in the report that we got, the, the deputy said he didn't know how the injuries happened. It could have happened when the car crashed. It could have happened when he got arrested. Who knows? But there was no investigation. There was no internal affairs investigation by the sheriff into what happened. If that happened in New Orleans, immediately there would have been an investigation because of the reforms under the consent decree. So basically, Jefferson Parish, they're brutalizing these people, young people, um, black and brown people, and then pretending like it didn't happen. So one thing that we found that was sort of shocking is that there was a lawsuit filed. There was a 16-year-old autistic child who had an episode. Deputy showed up on the scene, sat on him. He was lying down on a parking lot, sat on him for more than nine minutes, a, a deputy who weighed over 300 pounds, and he died. And so the lawsuit was filed, and the attorney asked, he listed 20 in-custody deaths cases and said, let us know which one of these resulted in an internal affairs investigation. None of them did. They didn't conduct an internal affairs investigation into a single one of those cases, including the 16-year-old who died. And we talked to this criminal justice expert, Sam Walker. He said, quote, it's inconceivable that this happened. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Unbelievable. Completely unbelievable. More MIP after this message. Is there any organizing or mobilizing in Jefferson Parish or outside of Jefferson Parish to, to do something about this? So the one thing which is interesting is that New Orleans has a ton of civil rights organizations, but they've been solely focused on New Orleans. There's not a lot of focus on Jefferson Parish for obvious, you know, it's just the way it happens. New Orleans sucks up all the attention in the room. But in Jefferson Parish, there's this amazing group called the Village Keepers, and these are leaders in the Black community from sort of all these different neighborhoods. They came together last year to push reforms for the sheriff's office. You know, it's hard. It's, they're, they're facing a sheriff that is all-powerful. Um, but yesterday, after our story ran on Friday, the ACLU put out a statement demanding that the U.S. Attorney's Office conduct or launch a federal investigation into the sheriff's office. Whether that happens, we'll... we'll have to wait and see. Um, but, you know, one thing it's, you know, the sheriff's office, there was a sheriff called Sheriff Harry Lee, who was in office for 28 years, larger than life figure. Um, but he also made really incredibly racist statements. He said that if his deputies ever saw a, a black person driving in a white neighborhood, that they would be stopped and arrested. And he served seven terms until his death. And so that didn't affect his standing in the community. So really, once you're elected sheriff in Jefferson Parish, it's very hard. Or they, they just, you know, there have been three sheriffs since 1979. Yeah, yeah. There's other thing, folks. Sheriffs are elected. Police chiefs are not. And, and that's why you will also see a parallel between sheriffs who are against gun control versus police chiefs who are. Most, most sheriffs support proliferation of guns. Most police chiefs don't because that's that's the difference uh, because it is, you know, a polarizing issue and and, and, a, and a weapon in elections. So, yeah, there needs to be a level of attention. I'm glad you're bringing attention to it. Hopefully the groups will get involved. We have a new Justice Department, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, might 
I mean, why it, the, the the DOJ got involved in New Orleans? It, it, do we have any any evidence or any knowledge the DOJ is looking at Jefferson Parish? So we interviewed Jonathan Smith, who was the head of the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice for, I think, 2010 to 2015. So he was involved in the New Orleans consent decree. And when I talked to him, he said he couldn't specifically say whether they were looking at a specific law enforcement agency, but he said, we knew that Jefferson Parish was a troubled department. They're aware of this. Now, he also said there are eight, more than 18,000 law enforcement agencies across the country, and their staff is limited. So that was sort of his way of saying, we can't look at all of these, but we do know that the sheriff's office was on the radar. And I know that locally there are people pushing for the Department of Justice to get involved. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully that will happen. And hopefully your writing and your investigation will lead to more of that. And I can only imagine what these families are going through. Folks, just FYI, I've even been involved in conversation. There has to be some type of getting a, a settlement amount of money, it really does nothing for the trauma these families face. Um, and so at some point, too, that has to happen. There has to be some place for families collectively to go to, to, to deal with their trauma, to maybe even talk to one another, to see how to move forward uh, with life. The, the, the settlement money just doesn't do it. It does not do it all. And then, you know, you don't know what's, what there's going to be. And in this day and age, a lot of that settlement money just isn't, it amounts to nothing. Mm. It, it, people, people see settlement money rich and they say, oh, this is a big amount of money. But when you really think about it and you put that amount of money up against and the cost of living for an entire family for the rest of time, it's nothing, <laughs> you know? So these tragedies continue to happen and we must be diligent and vigilant about exposing them. That's what Rich is doing. Folks, please go to propublica.org and please support independent journalism as well. Journalism like this, the title of the article, they saw me and thought the worst. She was diabetic, Sojourner was, and, and yet they treated her like as if she was high on drugs. What if she really, why does anybody who's even high on drugs deserve to be treated in that way? Knowing what we know now about that, that is, that is, let, let me just, let me ask you one thing before we go. We also see very common in these police departments, these law enforcement agencies, ex-military people. Is that the case in Jefferson Parish too? I couldn't say. I, w I okay. wish I could, uh, but I couldn't say that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, I'd be curious to know about it and know some of the, pro do, what do we know the demographics of the Jefferson Parish agency? Is it, I, I presume obviously it's probably predominantly white, but it, are there any people of color? Is there any percentage? So we actually, we actually just got those records and we're crunching those numbers now. As you said, it, it is obviously predominantly white, but I can get back to you with the percentage. Sure. Yeah, but we're looking into that. Very curious about that. ProPublica.org. They saw me and thought the worst by Richard Webster in collaboration with WKRF and WWNO and the Times Picayune and the New Orleans Advocate. Uh, so all have come together under... Uh, Richard's authorship to expose these stories and what is going on in Jefferson Parish. Let's spread the word. Let's share this story far and wide ourselves. Let's see what we can do to be supportive. Richard, thank you, buddy. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, 
It has been May Plains.